0: What's going on? Welcome to Canell and Bell on this Monday. Danny Canell and Rajah Bell with you. We got a ton of stuff we got to get to. Raj, NFL. We had a monster weekend. A bunch of backup quarterbacks getting it done. College football was crazy, and we'll keep you updated on injury news too that could possibly be coming out of New York. Speaking of New York, I am here. The Daniel Jones mania is real. Like all yeah. across the back pages, they're all plastered. I am supposed to come back tonight. I'm doing some CBS Sports stuff uh with their studio up here in in New York but there is a big but the United Nations is meeting and President Trump is supposed to be here i have never seen the type of security i'm talking streets walled off there are like hundreds of cops on every street corner with like tents set up it is nuts i honestly i my flight i have like a 4 hour window to be able to catch my flight i think i'll be okay but around the middle of New York City, it is a zoo. Like I highly recommend if you are in the New York area, stay away from it. It is crazy.
1: Yeah, you know, you know what I would stay away from if I were you. What? Putting out tweets about the Miami Hurricanes' less-than-stellar oh. performance this weekend. Yeah, I heard. Hey. Yeah, and I got <laughs> hey, you. Better watch out when you come through that Fort Lauderdale airport. I know that.
0: Hey, I thought I thought you were. I thought you didn't go on Twitter. I thought you didn't <laughs> go on social. I media. I got my little birdies
1: everywhere. Yeah, I, I got birdies I so. all over the place.
0: You and Kevin Durant got this burner account. <laughs> keep eyes on people. All right, well, let's keep out for that. We'll break down the Miami Hurricanes later. Well, you know what it's setting up for. It's setting up for a big showdown between Florida State and Miami. There's got to be some side action on that one for sure. But we have a while for that one. The NFL yesterday was pretty fascinating because you saw a lot of storylines taking place. Guys, you know, quarterbacks taking over. But let's start with the game last night because the Cleveland Browns playing at home against the Los Angeles Rams, this was a big test for them. It was their opportunity to showcase, hey, those first two games, we're just kind of getting used to things. We're going to put those behind us. Remember we talked about urgency versus panic, and they're like, no, there's no reason to panic just yet. This offense is struggling. A lot of it you can put on Baker Mayfield. His stats are not uh, glamorous, to say the least. Uh, On the year, he's only at 56% completion, three touchdowns, five interceptions. It's pretty bad. His passer rating 31st in the league. But here's the thing, Raj, I don't think you can only put it on Baker Mayfield. I think if you watch the play calling that last series, you would understand some of this has to go on Freddie Kitchens too.
1: Yeah, I think there are a lot of things in play here. Baker hasn't been great, but the offensive line has been really, really bad. So he looks like a quarterback who really isn't certain as to whether or not he's even going to have the time to get through his progression. Um, The play calling and the continuity there uh, seems to be a bit of a mess. You're not getting the ball to the playmakers that you have. You have possibly, you know, two of the best wide receivers in the game in, in, in Jarvis Landry, um, obviously more possession and, and less down the field. And then Odell Beckham Jr., who's supposed to be a big play machine that you traded for and went out and got. And you're not even targeting them late in games. Like there are a lot of things that seem to be wrong with that offense. So while Baker hasn't been good, and I'll agree with you there, the play calling hasn't, the offensive line hasn't, and just the continuity, um, you know, of that offense just doesn't look like it's there.
0: Well, speaking of the offense, you knew Freddie Kitchens would have some answering, some explaining to do as far as what they're thinking. Here's what he said after the game. Freddie, when you get down to the five, can you just explain the process of why you
1: didn't run at least once? Uh, I should have run it once. should have run it three times. So why didn't you? I just didn't.
0: If you're saying that after a game that you realize you should have called run play
1: there. I was being facetious. I should have run it one time. Um, I should have. That's what I'm kicking myself in the ass for right now.
0: Is that that an issue with the play calling in the moment if after the game you're realizing I should have done something that you didn't do then?
1: Um, I should have called more of a direct run. That's all I'll say.
0: What happened on the fourth and nine play call?
1: Uh, Bad call.
0: Did you want that play call?
1: Yes, I wanted that play call.
0: What was do you think you'd catch him in a like, what was you thinking? on a... it just didn't work. It was a bad call. Ooh, wee now Joey, uh Joey, our producer, texted me before and he's like, I can't believe he's chewing gum. And That I'm was like, terrible. Like is it that big of a deal? It, it sounded awful. Like it he sounded there awful. Just chawing, like, <laughs> chawing. Like, it sounded awful. That being aside, it wasn't major distraction. I Actually, Freddie Kitchens, I think, a little bit over his head. That was one of our concerns, right, going into the season. First time as a head coach. He's been a coordinator, quarterback coach. Now, all of a sudden, it's a whole new ballgame. I will give him some credit because he actually was saying, hey, I screwed up. But, like, the press wants more. Sometimes they don't and very clearly is just saying, hey, I screwed up, so let's let him do that and move on, is what my advice would be to the Cleveland Browns fans and the media say, all right, he admitted it. Now let's see if he can adjust and get better because it's still only three weeks.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, clearly that my bad wasn't enough in that situation. I mean, <laughs> look, I am no football genius, Danny, but even I know. I questioned when it was fourth and nine from just inside the 50, and they didn't want to try to pin the Rams you know back like I that that was questionable for me you know I don't you rarely see a fourth and nine with I don't know three minutes left on the clock uh executed from that far away but then to run a draw like even I know that's ridiculous um those were kind of egregious mistakes and then you know down the stretch when you're working for I mean first and goal essentially I think it was and and you know, you got four shots at that with enough time on the clock and 40 seconds. You got timeouts, you know, even clock management. We didn't even talk about, you know, if you were going to hypothetically score that touchdown there, how you would have liked to milk more of that clock, given that you had timeouts in your hand. Like all of those are things that speak to um, growth that needs to take place there from a play calling and, and from a head coaching, you know, perspective.
0: Yeah, and he's trying to take ownership of it. He's going to have to do some really tough you know, self-scouting and look at this, and now he's got to adjust on the fly, and I'm very curious to see what happens. I also think, and this will happen with young quarterbacks, and this is what I'm seeing happen with Baker Mayfield a little bit. You mentioned it. The offensive line has not been good, so he's been getting hit. It's been thrown off his timing. Last year, he was able to just rip it, right? Sitting back there, setting his foot, and he's just chucking it all over the yard. And when he... When he sets his feet and when he has good protection, Baker Mayfield is one of the most accurate quarterbacks um, in the game, potentially, definitely when he was coming out of college, and he showed it a little bit last year. But now that he's not there, what I'm starting to notice are some kind of alarming trends with Baker, how he's playing the position. Once you start getting rushed, I'm starting to notice him flushing from the pocket a little bit too soon. There were a couple times the edge on his left side, his blind side is coming behind him, and he's – escaping the pocket to the right where there were a couple opportunities I thought if he stepped up in the pocket, he would have bought himself some time. And then you're just, you let that initial wave get past you. And then it's just this calm. Instead, he runs, escapes to the right. Instead of any calm, it's even more mayhem because they're chasing after you. And these guys are fast. It's not Oklahoma anymore. It's not that situation. And I did also notice a trend where he seems to be escaping to his right, which is natural because it's harder to escape to your left. It's harder to throw when you're running to your left. So there's a comfort level in there. If I'm going to escape to my right, but, man, all of these defenses in the NFL start paying attention to that, they're going to start noticing some of these tendencies, and it's going to get rough. I'm telling you, this was my concern for the Browns, was the immaturity and also the fact that Baker was feeling himself this offseason. You know, hey, I threw, I had a rookie touchdown record and yet, this game will humble you fast, and that's what I'm seeing. It's going to be really interesting to see how this team uh, does moving forward with some adversity. Now they're going to have to start clawing their way back in, and we'll see how they do.
1: You know, um, other yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I wanted to touch on like that. I don't know if it was a third down play, might have been a third down play where he threw to the tight end over the top, and then it got hit off the uh, crossbar there. Yeah, uh, and he had Jarvis Landry open underneath, like on a on a on a little slant. And you could see Jarvis's frustration. Like he actually gave you a second. If you watched a clip of of genuine frustration with, know if it was with Baker or just with the fact that you know he didn't get the ball in general, the play call. But those are the things I worry about. And I thought, you know, you spoke to immaturity. I think you've seen some maturity at least from Jarvis Landry, who can chirp, and Odell Beckham, who can also chirp. Um, and they're not being, you know, when they're not being targeted to the degree that they think they should be targeted. I think. You know, like I know, those two guys in particular, if they're not getting the ball, they're hyper-competitive. If they're not getting the touches when they think they should get the touches, they've got no problem letting you know. The fact that you haven't heard it yet, I think I want to give them credit for the maturity. I don't know how long that lasts, though, because I saw last night there become some frustration out there on the field with the fact that they weren't getting the ball.
0: Good luck to them getting this thing turned around. They have two back-to-back road games at Ravens, at 49ers, tough outs, two teams playing really good football. Home against Seattle and then on the road against New England the next four weeks. And they're sitting at one and two. All of a sudden, if you start losing, you get behind the eight ball. That's when the real adverse deal starts setting in. So we'll have to see how that goes and we'll keep you updated on that. The other massive storyline was really backup quarterbacks, replacement quarterbacks, guys coming in, whether it was Daniel Jones, who the Giants decided to bench Eli Manning, and they look like geniuses now by making that move. Um, Kyle Allen, Gardner Minshew from Thursday night, Teddy Bridgewater due to injury, and Jacoby Brissett will even throw him in the mix. Replacement quarterbacks go five and three and have really impressive performances. Let's start off with Daniel Jones, right? Because he was probably the most polarizing quarterback of this draft because he was taken at six. Most people were like, that was a stretch. I thought it was, too. I thought they could have gotten him at seventeen. But maybe the Giants, who bet their jobs, their futures, Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer said, nope, you guys are wrong. This is our guy. We could not take the risk of losing him. Maybe they look like geniuses after the way Daniel Jones played yesterday because it was pretty uh, pretty impressive.
1: No, 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 no maybes about it, Danny. They look like geniuses yeah. right now. Um you know, this still has to play itself out. Daniel Jones has to still do this, you know, over the course of a season and then, you know, over the course of a career for them to truly be vindicated. Um, but right now, he looks really, really good. Um, and I don't know that we should be surprised because he looked really, really good in the preseason. And, you know, I get it. In the NBA, preseason isn't like the regular season. But if you see something and it looks good, sometimes it's good. Uh, and we were on here. We were kind of debate over, you know, why the Giants pulled the move now and why didn't they give Eli a little bit more time. And I said, I think that the Giants feel like this kid gives them the best chance to win. This isn't a concession on the on the season. They're not conceding. They're punting. They're telling you this kid is ready to go, and he, gives, he represents the best chance for our team to win. And he showed you why they put that trust in him yesterday.
0: There was a massive difference in play calling, too, with designed quarterback runs and his just ability to improvise, which yeah. you do not get from Eli Manning. Uh, You had the quarterback run early in the game, which was designed. Then you had the game-winning run, which was not designed. He was stepping back, looking to pass, noticed that middle of the field, wide open, and took that in. Eli Manning, at no no point, you could say at 38, at no point in his career does Eli Manning make that play. And this, Raj, I'm telling you, this is the evolution of the quarterback position. Guys that play like Eli Manning, like Tom Brady, like Drew Brees, they're they're becoming dinosaurs. They're going to be extinct. This is what the NFL is becoming. You have to be a threat with your legs in order to play in the NFL. It's just the way the game is evolving. And the best um, uh, package is when you can do both. And so far, Daniel Jones is showcasing the ability to throw the football with extreme effectiveness and also to run the ball. And the thing that might have been most impressive about this is he did a lot of this without Saquon Barkley in the game, who I thought was going to be a huge part of that. Saquon, I don't know the extent of his injury. It's saying high ankle sprain. Hopefully he's back sooner than later. If you would have told me before this weekend, oh, Saquon's going to be out and could miss time, I'm like, oh, there's no chance they win that game. Instead, he leaves, and it's, they don't even notice. There's no setback whatsoever. So it was a really impressive performance. And I'm with you. It's, I'm, because And this is what we do. We're going to overreact. I mean, Daniel, Daniel um, Jones is the toast of New York right now, right? Sure. Everybody, Danny Dimes, like they love him. Let's just breathe. It's one game. I'm with you. But man, to get off to a great start is really going to go a long way to help his confidence and this team. And you mentioned it, that the Giants were saying, hey, we might still have a chance in the playoffs. We're 0-2, but let's see if we can fight our way back. And they got a pretty good chance to do that if they keep playing that way. The other big storyline, and I didn't get to see much of this game, but was Kyle Allen who gets the win over the Cardinals for the Carolina Panthers. He had four touchdown passes, zero interceptions. This, to me, was the shock. Like Daniel Jones was a little bit surprising, but uh, Kyle Allen, who nobody even really knew who he was, um, was probably the surprise of the season so far with his performance.
1: Danny, I can't speak to play calling and what that looked like for Kyle Allen versus what it looks like for Cam Newton and whether... You know, they were only operating under a certain percentage of their, their their playbook or not. What I do know is that buddy was accurate yesterday. I was watching it kind of red zone, and they kept flashing to the game, and he was on a lot because he had four touchdowns. Um, but he was hitting open receivers, and he was accurate, giving them an opportunity to make plays um, when they came open. And that's something that Cam has, like, not done historically. He's a big playmaker. He could make plays with his legs, but the accuracy was an issue there. And you saw their offense looking real efficient yesterday with a quarterback that was hitting his target and hitting it in a timely fashion. And I I said this before, I love Cam. I'm a Cam fan. They have to figure out what the succession plan is from Cam. Whether it be for next year or the following year, if you have something in-house right now that looks good this week, Let's say Cam can't play for another week, and it looks good next week. You might have to make the tough call. I don't know that they will, but you have to start thinking about that uh, if you're in that executive office.
0: This is the ultimate um, business where it's, what have you done for me lately? I know Cam Newton was an MVP in 2015, took the team to the Super Bowl. It's kind of gone off the rails. Ron Rivera is coaching for his job. Like he's, he could be, he's definitely on the hot seat. He could be fired. I think they're going to make a reason to keep with Kyle Allen to see if this thing keeps going, right? Like, hey, Cam, you know, your ankle is probably a little sore. Let's make sure we get you healthy, right? Let's not rush you back because they want to see if Kyle Allen, if they can ride this hot hand and see what they get out of it. And then if Kyle Allen struggles, then they can go back to Cam Newton. But I would not be surprised. You mentioned the scheme difference. Cam Newton is – so it's clear when we watch the, the game against Tampa Bay that they did not want to run him, right? They want to protect his shoulder and all the issues that he's had. They did not want to run him. Cam is limited in the pass game with his accuracy, with some of his um, shortcomings throwing the football into tight windows. Now you're seeing a quarterback who's like, hey, and he's got nothing to lose. It's a different ball game. He's out there cutting it loose, firing it, showing a lot of accuracy with the ball, especially down the field. I, that's where I do wonder – all right, is, is is Cam Newton, as a pure pocket passer alone, without the threat of the run, is he more of a liability than a weapon at the quarterback position? And I think what you're seeing is that maybe he's more of a liability, which will make this decision pretty hard for the Panthers to move on from him. But Kyle Allen could make the decision for him if he continues to play the way he does and continues to win games. Uh, he wasn't the only backup quarterback. We had Gardner Minshew, of course, last Thursday. Teddy Bridgewater was really impressive in Seattle. That game caught me by surprise. They didn't ask him to do that much, but he still had two touchdown passes. Jacoby Brissett, we'll put him in the backup kind of replacement quarterbacks. I I didn't think the Colts would miss as much as people thought. Like the Colts were written off, hey, they're not going to contend for the playoffs. I still think they're very much in the mix with Jacoby Brissett. And then, of course, there were some younger quarterbacks that struggled. Uh, Mason Rudolph was okay for the Steelers. Luke Falk looked completely overwhelmed, but he's on the Jets. And then Josh Rosen is playing on a tanking Dolphin, so some other quarterback positions there uh, that we'll probably break down later in the week. All right, welcome back to Canal and Bell, Danny Canal, Raja Bell. Uh, I'm up in New York City. Hopefully, our connection stays strong. If it doesn't, you'll know why all of a sudden I disappear. College football. Um, the biggest shocker of the weekend for me was the noon game when Wisconsin not only beat Michigan. I mean, that was embarrassing for Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines, a team I thought could contend for the Big Ten title all of a sudden. Looks like they can't, like, they look like they're a group of five team. Like, they got manhandled. Jonathan Taylor rushed for 203 yards against them and didn't even play in the second quarter. This is impressive for Wisconsin, but I think the bigger storyline is Michigan. Like, what is going on with this program under Jim Harbaugh? I think it's a very real question that you have to ask.
1: Yeah, I, I would imagine uh, people are having that discussion, you know, in the in the Michigan area today. And, and really, I know he's done a lot of great things for the program. Um, you know, its national profile has been restored to some degree. Um, he's even, you know, you could make the argument he's kind of globalized it. He takes that team all over the place. The fantasy camp type of thing I think was him uh, off the bat. So there are a lot of good things that he's done there, but you know, he hasn't really had the the, the highest level of success and. You know his defenses were always something that that you could kind of count on, and no, offensively they hadn't figured it out, and he had struggled finding a quarterback, and then you thought you had Shea Patterson, and um, but the offense was never you know really clicking, but the defense you could count on, and when you start to see defenses get manhandled like like they were against Wisconsin, and you can't even count on that now, now you have to ask the question about, you know, where, where's the program at, like where. It, or, where's the buy-in like are we all on the same page like why can't we get that side of the ball motivated that used to be our bread and butter are there bigger concerns um th- than just our offense now like and the, when those questions start to have to be uh answered now now you got bigger problems so i imagine uh there are quiet conversations somewhere around ann arbor um regarding you know harbaugh his future or what what, ha- what direction the program's heading in and all of that
0: so we know the 0-4 record versus Ohio State. One nine versus ranked opponents, and three out of their last five games, they've lost by 21 points or more. Like that yeah. is something that you cannot have happen at Michigan. I think his problem is he recruited when he came in there, he recruited for smash mouth style of Jim Harbaugh football, right? Let's be really physical. Let's get some big boys in here, kind of the, the old school Michigan. And then all of a sudden you switch your offensive style to a spread offense, which needs more athleticism and more speed, and they don't have it. I, It's really going to be interesting to see how this thing goes because Michigan fans now are starting to get on them because before they liked them, hey, we're getting more, you know, we got some, our Michigan man, he comes into our program. Now that they fall off the rails a little bit, there's even some Michigan faithful who are saying, did we make a mistake with this hire? I think it's too early than that. I don't like to get in the business of firing coaches but it's going to be really interesting to see how the rest of this year plays out. And that last game of the season against Ohio State at home, if they get embarrassed and they go to 0-5 under the Harbaugh tenure versus Ohio State, watch out because then it's kind of all bets are off the table as far as his future there goes. I don't want to take it any anyway from Wisconsin. Jonathan Taylor, I think Wisconsin is the probably the second, it's clearly the second best team in the Big Ten right now. And I think they could have a say in the playoff discussion towards the end of the season. So keep an eye on them. The primetime game on CBS was Georgia versus Notre Dame. And I don't know about you, Raj, I left that game almost feeling better about Notre Dame and the fight they put up against Georgia, who all we've heard about is maybe they're the, we'll get them in the playoff too with Alabama. They're so good, they're chasing down Alabama. I almost felt better about Notre Dame, the fact that they went toe-to-toe in a game they were not expected to be competitive in. The spread when it closed, I think, it was 15 and a half, and yet they had a chance to possibly win it in the fourth quarter I thought Notre Dame showed me something more than Georgia being as dominant as we thought they were.
1: I didn't really know what to feel, Danny. I mean, I, you know, I felt like maybe Georgia wasn't as good. Um, it could, I could make the case that Georgia wasn't as good as people said they were. You could make the case that Notre Dame is a little bit better than people gave them credit for being. Like, I, I didn't really know how to feel about that. I was conflicted. I, I do know that Notre Dame, you know, it's not a loss to really be ashamed of. It'll be interesting down the stretch if they can you know win out they still have um virginia is number 18 in the country i think they have usc who's crept into the top 25 if they continue to win um and then they have someone else on that schedule that's a top 20 team they have michigan if they were to continue to win um they could be in the top 20 and if you rack up three more top 25 wins and your only loss is is there to georgia who was number three in the country and it wasn't a bad loss what does that mean for them in the college football playoff danny
0: Uh, So here's the thing. If they run the table, they're still in the conversation. They're not a lock. Like last year, I felt like if Notre Dame runs the table, they're a lock for the playoff. If they run the table and they're one loss team, that their only loss is a pretty impressive showing in Athens. I still think they're in the discussion. Now, of course, it depends on what else happens in college football. Right. Like how does Georgia finish the year? Who wins the Big Ten? Does the Pac-12, is Oregon a one-loss Pac-12 champ or does the Pac-12 have a two-loss champ? All of those things are what now affect Notre Dame in that conversation. Because I that's a very, you know... I, I, initially after the game, coming into the season, I was like, Notre Dame has to run the table or they're not going to be in. Because they played that game pretty tough in the way they showed, I think they're still going to be in the discussion uh, in December when we try trying to make the playoff. Uh, the other team who I think... Is kind of flying under the radar, but probably has two of not probably, they have the two most impressive wins. We have some teams with one impressive win. Auburn, now with the opener against Oregon, winning that game, and now going into Kyle Field, going into College Station, and winning that game on the road, they have two of the best wins in college football. But my concern after watching that game, their defense is incredible. Bo Nicks, who you know has been a great story, is a true freshman, he has to get better or else they're not going to make it through LSU uh, and uh, Alabama with those limitations at the quarterback. He's been admirable playing as a true freshman, but they are limited at quarterback from what I've seen so far.
1: Um, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, The kid Schwartz that took that, I don't know if that was a reverse (laughs) or whatever it was to mm -hmm. the house. Yeah, that kid's an American Heritage uh, Plantation kid, just FYI. Um, Shout out to American Heritage. But I do agree with you. That was my sentiment exactly. It's like I, I like their team. I like the way they're built. Um, they've got a lot of weapons, but it's going to come down to that quarterback play. I feel like, to some degree, and rightfully so, because he's a, he's a freshman, and you don't want to put too much on his plate. He's kind of caretaking right now, just kind of managing the game and making sure that you know uh, they stay on the right track. But I think at some point, he's got to win games, and quarterbacks win games, and so that would be my question about them and their you know their chops to actually contend for a national championship would be like, can he step up? And actually carry the mail. And I did it a little bit, you know, in the first game of the season, but can you do that over the course of, you know, two, three, four games?
0: Yep, for sure. He made some big time plays in the fourth quarter against Oregon, and he's going to have to make a lot more of those for them to be in that conversation for the playoff. The other thing, kind of bummed, really hurt me, as being the uh, captain of the UCF fan club, mm. UCF, their win streak at 25 regular season games comes to an end against the Pittsburgh Panthers. What I tell it, you, what I tell you, what I tell you about that place. It's a, it's tough to play. It is. T- Heinz Field, I, you are playing in an NFL stadium, it is yep. tough. You called it. It is, but I
1: didn't bet it. I I bet with UCF cuz they always make me look stupid. But I had a feeling about going in there, man, and Pitt I think, you know, you look at Pitt and you don't probably give them the respect that they deserve and you go into that field and for whatever reason, maybe it's because it's so big and it's pretty lifeless like you don't really get a great college environment vibe there but it's hard to get up to play or at least it looked like that to me because I've never played there but it looked like that being there as a fan and it's exactly what happened to UCF on Saturday
0: yeah UCF people were reveling in their demise right because they've been so vocal they claimed the national championship from 2017 like college football elitists like the power fives they just want them to go away like we're tired of hearing you tell <laughs> us you can beat us on any given day and they were reveling in it although it was a it was might have been the most entertaining game because UCF goes down 21 and everybody's chirping, "Ah, I see you guys are phonies." Then they come all the way back to take a 10-point lead and then Pitt comes back to finish off the comeback with a their version of the Philly special. Pat Narduzzi, their head coach called it the Pitt special. It was one of the most entertaining games of the weekend and I don't think UCF has anything to be ashamed of, right? Uh, Clemson lost to Syracuse in one of their years they made it to the playoff And nobody gave them, you know, wrote them off, and they still got back in the playoff. UCF clearly is not going to be in the playoff picture, but I don't think they have anything to be embarrassed about by losing to that Pitt squad, and uh, they're they're not going any way anytime soon in the national picture as far as that goes. Um, We'll stay out of the Heisman. We'll do the Heisman probably later in this week because there really hasn't been any shakeup. I do think it's interesting that Trevor Lawrence has fallen out of that race, and I get why, and I also think there's something going on with him. Uh, that I'm going to tell you about probably later in the week. We'll get into Heisman and dive into that. But we have to jump back into the NFL because Patrick Mahomes is putting up numbers like we have never seen. We've said this before, but when you see these numbers and you hear some of these statistics, you're going to be blown away. Welcome back to Ken and Bell. So if you listen to the show, you know that Raja and I, first of all, if you listen to the show, make sure you go rate the show on iTunes, give us a five-star review, ask a question for Raja in those comments. We'll answer them. We'll get them on the show. But if you listen to the show, you'll also know that Raja and I are big-time Patrick Mahomes fans, is, like most people in the NFL are, blown away by his talents, and yet he keeps surpassing the bar that he has set. It is insane uh, what he's a ju- uh, doing as a quarterback. So we yesterday was dubbed, hey, the battle for the MVP, Lamar Jackson versus Mahomes, and clearly uh, Patrick Mahomes got the best of Lamar Jackson, in which the game was kind of affected by the weather early on. But if you look at what he's on pace for, 6500 yards, 60 touchdowns and like it's it's insane some of the numbers that he is starting to put up. I've said he's Dan Marino on steroids. Um I've heard him compared as a combination of Dan Marino plus Randall Cunningham, uh which is a pretty good comparison when you can think of Randall Cunningham. His throwing motion does remind you of Randall Cunningham, it's sort of a longer, loopier motion. His mobility but it's just, Raj, this is the perfect passage, like the package. This is what you would design a quarterback to look and play like if you were doing that.
1: I mean, I don't even know what more we can say about the dude. If there is a non-believer or a hater out there, um, sh- shame on you. That's just ignorance. Like, I don't even know what – you. what more can you say about some of the throws that he makes, um, the angles with which he throws the ball? I do think, though, that uh, Andy Reid has played – And I'm not taking anything away from Patrick Mahomes here. This isn't, but I think Andy Reid's pairing with Patrick Mahomes has allowed him to kind of, you know, hit his stride earlier than maybe he would have if he played for a less creative offensive mind. Like, if that's fair to him, but clearly, um, He's as gifted as, as there's been. And, I mean, if he's on this pace, we could be talking about, you know, maybe depending on if he gets Super Bowl rings a, or along the way, maybe in the GOAT conversation just by pure talent standards. But I do think you should give Andy Reid some credit for how quickly uh, he's been able to kind of hit his stride and just continue to, to get these numbers because he's in a very, very creative uh, and quarterback-friendly, you know, situation there.
0: Go ahead, Joey. Yeah, Danny, to – to piggyback off Raja's point, I was going to almost say the exact same thing, but I was wondering, like, we were, I was watching that game yesterday, and the question that I asked, and I was with Debo, we both were asked, like, how does, you saw that play, the Demarcus Robinson touchdown? He's yeah. so wide open. Like, he is, and, and this happens at least once or twice a game where, I mean, Mahomes is great, and like Raja said, not to take anything away from him, but, like, these guys are just running down the field unchecked, how does it, I mean, it just keeps happening. Is it Reed? Is it they don't understand the offense? Op- like, what's happening there? Well, it's a combination of Andy Reed. It's a combination of his motions and formations and shifts, which are very complex, and they're very confusing for defenses to pick up on. And you know what it probably really is? When you're thinking all right, where's Sammy Watkins? How or you know when Tyreek Hill is 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 on the team when he's back, which is crazy that if he comes back they're going to have another weapon, but you got Sammy Watkins, you got Robinson, you got Travis Kelsey, you got Miko Hardman who all of a sudden looks like a real weapon, and you're trying as a secondary, you're thinking all right, well, where's my guy? And by the time you figure out okay, there's the one we're focusing on, they come with another option, a speed option too, like a speedy option on the outside. And if you hesitate for a split second in the NFL versus that type of speed, they're behind you in a flash. And so it really is. I and mean, you guys bring up a great point that Andy Reid deserves a lot of credit for this. It's him. It's the team, actually the players that they have put out on the field. And it's Mahomes, like trusting him and saying, you know what? We're going to let him learn behind Alex Smith. We're going to get him up to speed. And then we're going to trade away Alex Smith and we're going to plug him in there. And it has been historical when you look at the types of numbers they're putting up there. I will say this, Rob. I'd be curious to know. I'm going to ask you a question, Rajan. Mm-hmm. Watching the quarterback play that we were just talking about the last segment, you know, uh, all the replacement quarterbacks that are coming in. Do you think it's easier to play quarterback in the NFL than ever before? Yes, um, I think so too. Yeah. I think it is. Like, and it's not. And this is not a Patrick Mahomes is overrated conversation. But it's more like when you saw those replacements come in, those are guys historically would come in and be overwhelmed. The rules benefit the quarterback uh, as far as, you know, where you can hand check, the contact, uh, protecting you. It's not as physical as it ever was before. Um, It's just I think it's easier to play quarterback now, which is why you're going to see a guy like Patrick Mahomes who would excel in any era that he played in. I'm going to make it clear. I'm not taking away from him. When you put that type of talent in a league now that is so pass happy and offensive friendly, that's why you're able to see all of this happening as well. Like I think it's a combo. I think it's all of this is what you're seeing, Patrick Mahomes.
1: Yeah, I, and I think like if I'm reading if I'm reading it correctly, quarterbacks used to be put in a box. Um, and you had to play a certain way. You had to look a certain way. Um, and they wanted you to process information, you know, a certain way. And you could only play the position that way for the most part. I think today they celebrate the quarterback's diversity and their ability to do kind of different things, um, athletically speaking. And I think. Offenses are more uh, creative, right? And they kind of work with what they have as opposed to trying to take what they got and make it into this one particular prototypical quarterback. So I think that also helps with the position because you're seeing a lot of different guys of a lot of different statures, a lot of different styles, a lot of different athletic abilities playing the position and having success with it. I think you got to give offensive coordinators and offense in general some credit for that also. I think way more flexibility there than there's ever been.
0: Totally great. And it's, it's becoming, I'm telling you, pocket passers, guys who stand still, are going to be a dinosaurs. They're going extinct. I'm telling you, that's the way it's going to be. Yeah. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that story. As Patrick Mahomes, the chase for 55 to huh. catch Peyton Manning's p- touchdown passing record in a single season, I think is very uh, much in jeopardy. I think Patrick Mahomes is going to catch that this year, especially at this pace, which he keeps going. Uh, the Jets are a disaster. I don't think that's a shock to anybody. They lose Sam Darnold to Mono for... How, you know, however long that's going to take. Adam Gase takes over. They added some weapons, but you could just feel this thing kind of going off the rails. And Le'Veon Bell, their running back, their big offseason uh, signing when they paid him a nice contract. He is not happy with the haters, and he let them know about it after their loss to the Patriots. said, all you haters, enjoy it for now. Just don't go Casper on us when all this gets turned around. We embrace diversity. We embrace the hate. And everyone that wants to see my team fail or me fail individually, I'll remember. We'll remember it all. Use it and wear it as a badge of honor. Then he followed it up. And all the fans, we need you more than ever. They don't give up on, don't give up on this team. Just keep believing we'll get the ship turned around and sailing in the right direction. We'll give it our all and we'll be back after the bye. We love you and we appreciate your support. It's needed. You know what, I I feel like Le'Veon Bell is like me imploring the Florida State fans to bring some positivity. A lot, fans like to boo, and they like to sit at stadiums and criticize their players and coaches' calls and say, bench this quarterback or get this guy. My question is always, what good does it do? If anything, it makes the situation worse. And that's kind of the case that Le'Veon Bell is making. He's like, "Just support us. Give us some." We're trying to turn this thing around, and I think this is kind of refreshing to see a player out there making his case for the fans to support him.
1: Yeah, I mean, in a day and age, uh, especially lately, where you know the social media posts by athletes aren't are are less than uh, you know glowing, if you will. I actually like this one. I think this is a. You know, a call to arms, so to speak, of his fan base. I appreciate it. I have no problem with him saying um, that he sees the haters and and you know, don't be ghost on us because we're going to get this ship turned around. I don't think it's in a ag- an aggressive um, uh, you know tweet at anyone in particular. It's just stating facts and and the fact that he's. You know, shouting out his fan base and asking him to stay with them and stuff. It alludes to the fact that we know we're not great right now. We know we have work to do. We're not standing here telling you, you know, that we're the greatest thing since sliced bread and, and, you know, that, that you shouldn't feel the way you feel, but we need you. Um, and we will get this thing turned around and we realize that we have work to do. Um, and, and I appreciate that because I think, you know, if you do have work to do, come into grips with that, having a little bit of humility about it is where it starts. And then you get back to work and see if you can get the ship turned around. But I really didn't have any problem with this. And I think it was for refreshing for me um, because the social media um, activity by a lot of NFL players and just athletes in general recently hasn't been the greatest.
0: Yeah. I thought this was a very smart tweet, the way he handled it, calling out your haters, but then also following it up saying we need your support. Like, he was—he's—he's he's aware that these are the people that are buying tickets, they're yeah. buying his jersey, and you're saying, "Hey, we need you guys." And if fans took that approach and looked at it as, "Hey, players appreciate us and want us out there cheering for us," they'd probably be in a better place if they could get there. So good for Le'Veon Bell for speaking out because it's a really dicey situation. You want to turn on your fans and like flip them the finger, you know, like say, "Hey, get out of here! What are you, sure. you guys? You're fair weather. You only root for us when we're good." Like, trust me, I've been in that position. But here he's calling him out and then saying, just keep supporting us, which I think is a smart move, especially in the New York market, where if he would have been a little more aggressive and taken that, hey, screw you guys, you guys don't even around, you know, that could have been blown up in his face. So I think it was a pretty good um, tweet and kind of comments from Le'Veon in a tough situation and we'll have to see how the fans respond. Hopefully they stay behind this Jets team and see if they can get it turned around. All right, what's going on? Welcome back to Kinnell and Bell. So, we're going to debut a little new segment called What's Happening Here. All right. Remember the show uh, What's Happening with Rerun? Yeah, Love, no Rob, doubt. That was great. Love that show. We're going to do What's Happening Here. So let's take a look first. Lamar Jackson, uh, I think he's Michael, I think he's better a better runner than Michael Vick. And Mike Vick fans get really upset with me, but I felt you saw a glimpse of why I feel that way in their game against the Chiefs. So, take a look at Lamar Jackson. Uh, in this play. And see if you can tell me, Raj, what is happening on this play when he's uh. scrambling around, trying to find a way, make a way. And oh. he goes in. Uh. <laughs> what was that? With a premature at. touchdown celebration? Yeah, I think so. But that he's right like, there is pretty funny. He's like, what are you doing? Like, I think the guy, he's, the guy, his receiver is putting up his arms like, I'm open. And Lamar's like, what do you want me to do? I'm going to take this one in. Like, I, It was just a communication breakdown on this one. But that was pretty hilarious because he's like, what? What do you, what do you what are you doing? I'm taking care of this one. Uh do you think I am crazy to say Lamar Jackson is a better runner than Michael Vick? I don't I think he's he's clearly a better passer even in this just a limited window of a couple years in his second year. But do you agree with me that he's a better runner than Michael Vick?
1: Mike Vick is my guy, full disclosure. So, I'm not going to say he's a better runner. I'm saying he is in the conversation. He his moves are filthy. The little the little breakdown with the shoulder shimmy and then the, the spin, the, the stop and go that he used to make a guy fall. I mean, he's got some filthy stuff with him. So I put him in the same class with Michael Vick. But I'm not re- willing to say that he's better than Michael Vick just yet.
0: All right, give it time. We'll see. Mike Vick was super explosive. There yeah. was an explosive speed there that I think we'll see from Lamar. So we'll have to give it time. Uh, all right, college football. Tell me what is happening. Tennessee got worked by Florida, 34-3. to 3. It was ugly. Their quarterbacks are talking. What they're on the sideline. They're trying to talk to their coach up in the booth, and it's almost like these millennials don't know what to do with an old school phone. <laughs> that's not. That's not how you answer the phone.
1: It's like the Flintstones, there, man. Like, what the heck is
0: going on? I, I guess you can say, all right, they're making light of a bad situation there. Uh hopefully he's just joking, but maybe that explains some of Tennessee's woes uh, offensively if they can't figure out how to work a phone. Danny. I remember coming over. I would talk to Mark Richt on the phone. He was upstairs in the booth, and I remember sometimes if I had thrown an interception or I had a bad play, I dreaded going because I know I was like – I would answer and be like, I know. Like that's – I wouldn't even say hello. I'd be like, I know. Like you know when you screw up. You don't even have to say anything. You just knew it was going to be that bad.
1: My kids would have no idea what to do with that. Absolutely <laughs> no idea. Um, and I, this happens to me a lot with basketball because when I'm teaching shooting, I'm teaching them to shoot out of a phone booth, like straight up and out instead of, you know, like out horizontally yeah, shooting up. Right. Um, when I say that to sixth graders, I, I often forget that they have no idea what a phone booth is. So they're always looking at me like, like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I'm like, you guys don't even know what a phone booth is, do you? It's crazy.
0: I love it. All right, let's check out one from Florida State. They're playing against Louisville. They're going in to score. Watch my man here, my kid in the crowd, who was not going to hold back on hey. the officials. Now, this one, I was kind of upset because Florida State goes in. They don't get the touchdown. And I was not sure if he was flipping off Florida State's own players or the officials. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and hope that it was the officials. Like That's what I'm hoping is that he was mad at the officials for not calling it. But the way Florida State fans have been turning on their own team, I am not certain that that was the case. Do you know how angry you have to be for the double bird? (laughs) Not the single
1: bird, but the double bird. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I I didn't see the game. Um, But he was probably representative of a lot of that fan base during the game because it was less than stellar. Again. Yeah.
0: But, hey, they won. That's all the matter. We weren't right. playing Central Michigan either. We're playing a real I, team from the Power Five getting it I, done. Low blow. I had, a lot,
1: I had a few texts. I had a few texts from people saying, you need to talk to your boy Danny. You got to get off the bandwagon. I'm, that's real talk. few texts.
0: <laughs> all right. Uh, Monday Night Football is tonight. We don't have to spend that much time on it. What about – Uh, There's a look at the line. It's who cares? a crappy matchup. Exactly. Who does care about that quickly before we end this show? Let's do something more entertaining because the game bears versus uh, Redskins. I think the bears are going to roll. Is there anything more? Like, I think the bears lay the five and a half, even though they're on the road, take that one and do it. Uh, Antonio Brown says he's done. Do you think he is definitely done or do you think there's a way he possibly finds his way back in the NFL?
1: Um, exoneration is is a way that I could see him back in the NFL. Anything short of that, um, and I don't think he plays in the NFL again.
0: Yeah, but even if even if he gets exonerated, I feel, and you clearly see this, he went on this tweet storm yesterday. He feels slighted. And he feels like he's getting a raw deal. Um, he feels like the NFL has screwed him over. Um, where even if he gets exonerated, I could see him play. Before any of this transpired, before he went to the Raiders, remember him saying, I think it was Jeff Darlington, he sat down, he's like, I don't need the NFL. I don't, I've don't. i made enough money, I don't need it. I wonder if that's a case, even if he gets exonerated, where he's like, nope, I'm not giving you guys what you want. All you fans who turned on me, again, this is if he's exonerated. I could see him holding a grudge where he's like, nope, I'm not coming back. You guys are not going to get me to come back to the NFL and watch me play. I'm done with it. Like, he seems like there's a right. mental issue there too where you know there might be an opportunity. He might just say, see ya.
1: You know, I would say don't cut off your nose to spite your face, bro. Like, you know, it's you You had a part um, in, in everything that's transpired. Like all of this stuff has has started um, because of you to some degree. Now, we can have our opinions on whether or not, you know, it, it, some of it is, is – Blown out of proportion because of the court of public opinion or not, but you are the root of all of this. And if you're exonerated, um, and it's proven that this didn't take place, not everybody turned on you. So I would say if there are teams that still want to employ you and want you to come out there and play football, um, that, that you should do that. Like you've only got a certain amount of time, you know, not just to make a living, but to play the game if you love it. And so I, I wouldn't cash in on that just because you felt slighted. By some people in the NFL. But again. Unless he's exonerated. And found. Innocent of all of this. I don't see a way. Where a team would even touch him again.
0: All right. That's a wrap for us today. I am traveling back tomorrow. Hopefully. United Nations is here. filming. I don't know if I'm going to be back. Hopefully I get back. I don't know if it's going to take some time. Because there's massive security in New York City. But be back on Wednesday. Roz will be in tomorrow. Enjoy Monday Night Football. As bad as it might get. It's still football. Like think about July. When you're missing the game. And enjoy the game. We'll see you.